it's it, it's all letter getting all the time. It get it gets in your head. It really it, does. It really does. So, um, so there are certain parts of Ontario. We didn't talk about this in the last episode, but there are certain parts of Ontario that that's really indicative of. And the Ottawa Valley, or the Valley as it's known, is a full. How are you now? It's huh. always. Yeah, it's all, and and so where 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 I'm from is not a not a how are you now, but but Ingersoll, which where Letterkenny is based on, is is in Western Ontario, not in the Ottawa Valley, and there's a how are you now there as well. Huh, uh, it's it's regional. Um, so speaking speaking of Letterkenny, Letterkenny talk, um, season seven came out on Monday, and I've watched the first two episodes, and it's excellent. And you will when you get there, you'll appreciate it. Um, Episode one of season seven is about, and it, I think it's called, it's the Ag Collin Show. And so the guy, <laughs> I love it already. Yeah, the the guys are it, basically it's food safety talk, but they do it in a cable access. And, right. Um, and the first question is, uh, yeah, so my chainsaw won't cut, <laughs> and that's the question. And then Wayne Wayne responds, "Well, how long is it?" And he's like, "Oh, about eighteen inches." Oh. Where are you getting it? You know, it just goes back and forth, and it's this most ridiculous conversation. And also, there's there's a whole um, thing of, uh, you know, uh, so I don't know who was on the phone, Brett. And so uh, Katie says, uh, Brett's on the phone, and, and and this is in the middle of the Colin show. Every time that someone's on the phone, uh, Wayne goes, "Is he really? Yeah, is, is he really? <laughs> is he really? Yeah. Oh, and then he says, Bretsky." Which is, of course, how you would – if your name Brett in Canada, Brettsky would be the most uh, appropriate uh, nickname. So, uh, uh, Letterkenny, it is, it is good. And, like, I mean, everyone knows about it now, right? You yeah. know about it. We, we talked about Merlin knowing about it. Hulu's emailing about me about it saying, this is great. Come, come watch it. It's our best show. Obviously, I already knew. Anyway, I, I'm, all, I'm all Letterkenny'd up. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and it's it really is like so. I am I'm uh, partway through season three, and it's really, it's very it's very simple and it's very delightful, and it's like a it's almost like a video game. Like it keeps like there's certain tropes and themes, but it keeps building, you know. And it's just right. I don't know. I just I really I'm just the more I watch it, the more I appreciate how well made it is. Like when you first see it, it's just like oh okay, there's just these dumb hicks and they just say silly things, but then. <laughs> As you listen, you you know, and as as you keep going, you, again, it just that's that sort of it's sort of like you're discovering this world uh, together with uh, with everybody else that's watching the show. I don't know. I just I, I just I, I really like it. So anyway, good. And, well, I, and I'm, I'm really so, I'm so. really sad. I'm really sad that like I had an opportunity to get in on the ground floor on this one, and yeah. I, I missed my chance. Like you you were talking about it, my son was talking about it, and it didn't. It, it took until uh, it took until Merlin Man uh, that I that I finally uh, found it, and and I'm 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 just I'm, I'm mad. At myself, Ben. I'm just. I'm mad that I, I didn't get. I didn't get in on the cool new thing sooner. Well, it, I mean, it happens. It happens to all of us. It was like the wire for me. It took me a while. People, you're right. Like it, I, I didn't. I, I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't watch the wire until it was all over, said and done. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then once and you watched it, and then I was like, oh, people said it was awesome, and you know, I, you know, people are like, oh, you should watch this, and uh, yeah, yeah, and then uh, then you watch it, and then it's like you discovered it for the first time, and then you tell people, or I told people. 
you guys should see the wire. It's so good. And, and everyone I talked to said, yeah, I know it. I watched it four years ago, <laughs> but, but there were a lot of people, I think when it first came out that that was one of those shows where right. people did not really get it at first. Um, but, and it wasn't only until later that it kind of got this cult, uh, uh, following. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Oh, Don, I got, I got stuff. We got stuff to talk about. We have uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. Oh my gosh. We have so much, so much stuff. Um, Peter Patter. <laughs> Peter Potter, let's get, let's get out. Uh, so first thing I want to talk about, we, we have not done um, one of my favorite uh, bits on the show for a while. And really, it's a segment that, that had its own place for a while, which is um, Don and Ben talk about the foods of Canada. Yeah. And they even had a theme song, I think. Or we, that was the other thing that we used to do that we don't do anymore that had so a theme song. That had a theme song. Yeah. <laughs> so and then we just stopped and people who people probably th- thought, oh, did I miss the episode where they stopped doing it and explain why they don't, they don't do it anymore? No, we just we just forgot about it. Well, here's, uh, here's the thing, Ben. This uh, this is a show that you and I do. Um, I don't know if people know this, um, but we don't get paid for this. This no. is not. This is this is a labor of love, as they say. And you know, we both have day jobs, and so you know, you get what you get, <laughs> which right. is which is not a Letter Kenny uh, reference. That no, might be no. that might be a Roderick on the line reference. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Let's, so just... so Ben, tell me about Canadian food. So so um, it was uh, it was Thanksgiving on Monday. And it's not a. It's, it, it was Canadian Thanksgiving. It's not a Canadian food thing. It's the same foods, but I'm I'm in the midst of leftovers. So so for th- for Canadian Thanksgiving, I shot a bunch of videos and made a bunch of turkeys. <laughs> You're gonna say you shot a bunch of turkeys. I shot a bunch of turkeys. <laughs> made a bunch of videos. Made a bunch of videos. <laughs> no, so uh, did and I, I think I talked a little bit about this on the last last episode. But the culmination of these videos was um, last Friday. I needed to have turkeys at four, three different stages, like a fully cooked turkey, a turkey that was um, thawed, um, that and, and a fully frozen turkey. So I had all these turkeys, and uh, and then I gave away a bunch of turkey meat to people that were helping, and I took a turkey home, and uh, I roasted a turkey on on Saturday, um, and I'm I'm finishing because you know I talked about my. Uh, my current uh, um, diet, which I'm not looking at as a diet, it's a lifestyle change. I'm eating a lot of paleo kind of things, lots of meat and lots of vegetables, and not a lot of carbs, like not a lot of net carbs or processed carbs or sugars. So anyway, today for lunch I had Brussels sprouts, um, butternut squash, and uh, turkey that was uh, that I prepared on the weekend, and a butternut squash soup as well. Um, and it's it's delicious. I just want I really just wanted to share that with you that I I, I feel bad for I, I mean I love turkey. I love all the all the fixins as they say here in the South. Um, I it is my favorite holiday. Uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because of turkey and and the food um, and and I. I'm just I'm like I guess rubbing it in that I I get to have a Canadian Thanksgiving and then six weeks from now I get to have an American Thanksgiving and then I'm going to do it all again at Christmas I'm going to have a third turkey I'm a three turkey guy three turkey a year guy but 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 then when is when is Canadian Christmas Canadian Christmas is right right after <laughs> it's right after Boxing Day and uh, and, and Rene Levesque uh, Rene Levesque's birthday <laughs> and uh, and Trudeau days. Oh yes, Canadian 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 Thanksgiving is not nearly, or Canadian Christmas is not nearly as exciting as Canadian Thanksgiving. Wait, but now and we've I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. When is Canadian Halloween? <laughs> Canadian Halloween, it's it's surprising. It's in March. We do it. It's, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's what what you know as Palm Sunday. That's when. Canadian, <laughs> uh, 
uh, celebrate Halloween. Um, Canadian Kwanzaa is on, on the same day uh, as as American Kwanzaa. Um, and uh, what else? What else do we do a little bit differently? Um, Valentine's Day is is really uh, we celebrate that on uh, Wayne Gretzky's birthday. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and none of these things are true. Uh, well, some of them are true. Um, but them are the true. one, the one, th- I, I want to compliment you on this though, because see, now what what the casual listener may have missed is you are actually doing <clears throat> your your American um, job at in at North Carolina State, doing food <laughs> safety, preparing for a bunch of stuff that has to be ready for American Thanksgiving, right? Um, yep. And you coincide. You could do that anytime, but you no. chose to do it at Canadian Thanksgiving, just so that basically you're probably stealing from the taxpayers of of North Carolina, Ben, so that you could have your Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't. So I wouldn't categorize it as stealing. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's, let the record show that nothing illegal is happening here. No, I, need, I, 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 need, I remain I, to be convinced. Right, right. Well, I need, I need to, I need to make some food for the magic of television. Yes. And, uh, what, what better time to do that than, than when I'm festive on my, on my own Canadian, um, my, my Canadianism. Uh, and then what am I going to do with that? Food oh, let's lay up. Let's not be wasteful, right? Let's not let's be wasteful. Not be wasteful. Yeah, it's it's all about making sure that we're we're uh, it's double duty. So, um, and I, uh, I I wanted to make sure that uh, that I've got that, that I have some yummy food. Um, so, yeah, it was, but but it was it most definitely was a plan uh, to do it this way because I I knew it was like, well, I'm gonna have you know I'm gonna have a bunch of turkey sitting around. What am I gonna do with it? Well, I should might as well cook it up for Canadian Thanksgiving and celebrate that. Exactly. And I and I did, and it was and it was fabulous. Um, but oh, on on that cue, um, I so uh, as I've been uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast and um, mentioned earlier, I'm I'm really trying to avoid um, lots of starchy and and carb laden foods, and it is difficult. Thanksgiving the like two of my favorite Thanksgiving foods and two two foods that I eat almost solely with turkey. Are mashed potatoes and and stuffing, and I'm a. Are you a, are you a, a dressing family or are you a stuffing family? What do you what do you got? Do you I got? I do not like dressing or stuffing, so I do not I do not eat either of them. I might I might put a little dressing on some mashed potatoes, but honestly, I I really have no use for either of them. Wow, I'm so I, my my grandmother of uh, Dutch consent Dutch consent. I don't think that's the right word. Dutch descent. I think it, um, it means it yeah. means something else entirely. It, it does. It does. Yeah, um, of Dutch descent. She uh, always cooked uh, sausage meat uh, as as a dressing. So it was, or yeah, she she referred to it as dressing, and it was just ground ground turkey. Um, uh, and spices and then breadcrumbs. And she would stuff the Turkey with that. And, um, and I did not like that at all. Uh, and as I grew up and my, my grandmother on my other side of my family and my mom, um, as they prepared Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals, we, we had, uh, just, uh, just a regular, uh, not a sponsor of the, of the program, but stovetop stuffing. Uh, stuff in the bird, and uh, that I, I really, really like that. I like a little cranberry sauce on that. 
But uh, but I don't know if you know this, Don. But if you look in the ingredients of the of the stovetop stuffing and other stuffings, you'll find that I think the number one ingredient is bread, <laughs> which is one of the very things that I'm trying not to eat. So uh, I've had like a, a full like let let's say I've had five tablespoons of stuffing, uh, over the, over the last, uh, four or five days, just enough to get a taste of it. And I, and I miss it. Uh, and the same with mashed potatoes. I just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the Roderick, uh, train of, uh, off potatoes. I'm off, I'm off the starches. I'm off the grains. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's good. And I know I feel better <clears throat> when, when I eat the same, uh, that said, I had a, uh, giant bowl of rice noodles for lunch. So that was my lunch. Uh, cause I, I didn't have time to, usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll pair that with some, um, some lean protein, like a tuna fish, uh, out of a package, but didn't have time today. Um, so, uh, that's, that's what I had. And cause I was running, I was running late. Actually, I was, I want to spend a little bit of time maybe and talk about this. Um, I was at a, yet another uh, New Jersey chapter 24 food code meeting. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And, and this was interesting. And I wonder, I want to ask your opinion on this. Um, so one of, what we're doing right now is we're going through, uh, section eight of the, uh, FDA model code. And I don't okay. know if you know this, Ben, but section eight is compliance and enforcement. Okay. Okay. And, let me, let me and, Google that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so basically, uh, it, this is, this is dealing with, uh, yeah, compliance and enforcement, right? And, and, and there's a bunch of things that our department of health is suggest. So we're trying to adopt the food code by reference. Okay. And yep. so, and again, I'm, 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 I, I'm think, I think, I think I, I used to, I was used to be better about doing this, uh, when the podcast first started. I know we have a lot of people who are not in the world of food safety, but are just interested. And so I should explain that, um, the FDA model food code is a, not a regulatory code, but it's basically guidance, uh, a draft, uh, a, a, what, what is it? It's 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 a model food code. It's not it's not a regulatory document. And then the states choose to adopt in whole or in part the FDA food code to regulate basically grocery stores and supermarkets within their state. And um, and and so states can adopt uh, can have a food code that's completely independent of the FDA model code. They can adopt parts of it. Uh, they can adopt the whole code by reference. And so what we're trying to do in New Jersey is we are trying to adopt the whole code by reference. But there's a number of things that we need to take out. And the most interesting thing that I learned today is that there's stuff in the FDA code which has language, let me see if I can find it, um, which has language that says stuff like, um, let me see if I can find a good one here. Um, find one that he wants to remove. Um, here we go. Uh, this is a kind of a, a, a silly one, but uh, it's a good example. Um, so section 8-202.10, trade secrets. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me get okay. there. Got it. I'm yep. there. I'm there. The regulatory, the regulatory authority shall treat as confidential in accordance with law, blah, blah, blah. And then there's, and then the one right under that, um, uh, or one that's right under that, uh, 8-203.10 pre-operational inspections, the mm-hmm, regulatory mm-hmm. authority shall conduct. And so what, what, uh, my, my guy in the state department of health wants, wants to do is he wants to take out he wants to adopt, we want to adopt the food code by reference, but he wants to take out all reference where it looks like the folks in Trenton, that is at the state capitol, are telling the local health departments what to do. So he has, ah. he has no problem with statements say that the food establishment shall, right? 
but he doesn't gotcha. want to. He, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to order the regulatory authority because that's actually covered in a separate part of the regulations. Um, and it, it's huh. basically, it's basically. I, I asked at the beginning of the meeting if it was had anything to do with home rule, and it doesn't. It just has to do with the fact that how how we choose to do that in New Jersey. So the the food code, the New Jersey food code, is is basically regulations for restaurants and supermarkets, right? Food service establishments, food establishments, according to what yeah, the, yeah. the code calls them. But they're, they, they don't want to have anything in there where they're telling the regulatory authority, that is the state and local, well, the, the local health departments, what to do. And I'm huh. just wondering, have you ever come across this and how do you deal with that in North Carolina? Oh, no. So the, 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 first, the answer to your first question is no, I haven't. Um, and, and in fact, I wasn't I, I don't think I was in, I know I wasn't involved at the granular, granular level that you're talking about when we adopted the food code by reference. And I'm going to go see, as we talk about it, whether our North Carolina food code rem, like removed or still contains those. Um, but I'm gonna do that in a second. Cause I have a question for you. Sure. Go ahead. So, so in the, um, if you, you scroll up a little bit to eight dash two Oh one 14, the contents of a HACCP plan, it says in there about how a permit holder will submit to the regulatory authority a properly prepared HACCP plan. Did that stuff, do they want to take that out as well? Like that there is, that the folks in Trenton are sort of dictating that the local regulatory authority is going to, to look at HACCP plans or variances, or did that remain? Like, is that, how, or, or do you remember? Well, you're, you're going to appreciate the discussion that was had here. Um, so there was a lot of interest around variances, and several yeah. of the local people uh, shared that they're, they kind of, uh, they, they, they really, they, they feel like they went to a training a bunch of years ago. It was put on by FDA. It wasn't that great. <laughs> they kind of feel like they would like to be trained. And I said, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, I know somebody, I know somebody does that. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny because I start, so there's an FDA representative there and I don't remember the, the woman's name. It's not somebody that I normally run into, although she's probably the FDA, you know, li- liaison for New Jersey. We could probably figure out who she is, but, um, uh, oh. I, Oh, go ahead. I, I might have she might have. She, she did. She attend one of my. Uh, no, someone from the metro area it wasn't from like so. Someone from New York in the boroughs. Exactly. Came to yeah. My, yeah. yeah. So came to one of my classes. Yeah, th- that might be the person, right? So okay. I, I don't think I think she's local. I don't think she's from DC. So, okay. um, but uh, I so I started to say, hey, you know, I had a chance. I know a friend of mine uh, does these uh, trainings, and uh, people really seem to like him. And he has people from state health departments that help him. And the FDA person's nodding her head because she's heard of you and she knows about yes. what you do. And so I put in a plug for you. So we'll yes, we'll we'll see. and of course she had to also defend that. Well, you know, the FDA training from seven years ago, we've we've made it better, and it's not as right. bad as it used to be. But anyway, it was, so anyway, I put in a plug for you. Maybe we'll get you to come to New Jersey. Um, but yeah, so and they're definitely now having sat through um, your training session that that you were so kind to invite me to in um, in Seattle area, not in Seattle proper, because if it right. was in Seattle proper, people would have been able to come to it. It wasn't. It was. It was not in Seattle. Ben, let's just be right. Oh, I'm, I'm aware. It was just in the Seattle, the, the general vicinity of, of Seattle. Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't call it. Don't call it. Don't call it Seattle. No. No. Um, so, uh, and anyway, it was it was just it was just really interesting to hear those discussions and see those people express their concerns and 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 to be able to offer an opportunity, to offer a, a, a something to them, a solution to them uh, that you could provide through your training that might help them become more comfortable with um, sous vide or uh, kimchi or what have you. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Real time follow up. 
North Carolina food code, which we adopted by reference uh, from the 2009 food code. Uh, confidentiality, we're in Chapter 8. Uh, 8-202.10 is the exact same as the 2017 model food code. Okay. So it says, yeah, the re- regulatory authority shall treat as confidential. So, so, so you, yeah. you, you, the folks in um, – uh, where's your state capital? Uh, we're here, here in, here in Raleigh, Raleigh. So the folks in Raleigh have no trouble telling the folks out in the state what to do. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we're, we're all about raw. I mean, if, if you go back to the Andy Griffith show, they're always talking about Raleigh telling them to do stuff. We've got to go into really? Raleigh. Really? Yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah, huh. I don't. I never watched the show, but oh, uh, I, I watched. I don't remember that, but I wasn't. I wasn't listening for that for that particular uh, angle. <laughs> for that, for uh, big government from Raleigh. Yes. Okay, and uh, influencing Aunt B's uh, trade secrets. Yeah, uh, probably telling her she can't make cookies in her kitchen and sell them at make, the supermarket. Oh, uh, don't go. Uh, the, don't the let Raleigh store. Know, don't let Raleigh know you're using cottage food rules here. Um, so people do refer. Do people talk about like Trenton? As, oh, they as, do. Totally. Yeah. Trend. yeah. And, and that's how they, yeah. I didn't have that, um, experience coming from Canada. Um, in Ontario, the regulation like regulatory for restaurants is, um, the ministry of health and long-term care. And they are located, I think the headquarters are in Toronto, but they have people in all over the province, but it was never like, well, Toronto is telling us how to do this, but, but moving to North Carolina, it happens both from a, extension situation and local public health regulatory or, and, uh, and Department of Agriculture where I hear like, well, Raleigh says to do this. Like Raleigh's yep. a, Raleigh's a place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the other thing I have to say, you, you know what they say about Trenton, right? Um, all the, <laughs> you, don't, you, uh, you can't, you can't go too far to find, uh, buried bodies. <laughs> uh, uh, I think you're thinking of Baltimore. Um, oh, uh, no, Trenton makes the world takes. Have you heard that expression? Oh, what does that mean? What is, uh, like- it is a sign. So I'm looking at the Wikipedia page because this is apparently one of those podcasts where two middle-aged white guys read each other from Wikipedia. Um, the, uh, it is a sign on the lower Trenton Bridge. And you can, you, when you take the train uh, to D.C., if you turn your head at just the right time, you can see, uh, you can see the sign. Um, so it's always been there. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a sign over the uh, lower Trenton Bridge. Uh, wow. Uh, installed in 1935, back when Trenton used to actually make stuff. I, they probably still do make some stuff. But is that the, is that the is that the city motto of Trenton? You, I don't I don't think it is. Um, yeah, we'll I, I don't we'll I don't see. think it is. So um, so I was hoping that the answer to that was was yes. Um, <laughs> sure, yes, sure. Let's say yes. New Jersey has picked a slogan to attract tourists, uh, which is um, uh, "Come see for yourself." Oh, hey, there's an NPR story about Trenton makes the world takes the history of a slogan. It's uh, on All Things Considered from 2006. Cool. So there you go. Um, so speaking speaking of city mottos, um, the city of Oshawa, which is now where I'm from, uh, but most most notably, Don, you would think that if you went to Oshawa, that you were in a large version city of of Letterkenny. Um, <laughs> one of my one of my favorite bands, whom I've discovered since moving to North Carolina, a band called Cuff the Duke. They're from Oshawa. They uh, sing a, a, a sing a song called Roslyn Square. And it's all about Oshawa and Whitby, and um, the in the there's a line in that uh, in that song that that references the uh, Oshawa city motto, which is "Prepare to be amazed." 
<laughs> which is maybe, and they just like, it's in the chorus. They say, I think it's like the, um, something about the, the motto of the city or the slogan of the city where I was raised is prepared to be amazed, which is a great, great line. Um, but, uh, I always think about Oshawa of prepared to be amazed is, is, is there's nothing, there's nothing in Oshawa that you would be amazed about Don. <laughs> what's the, what's the name of the song? Uh, the song's called Rosalind Square. R Ros, um, and it's by Cuff the Duke. Rosalind Square, got it. Rosalind Square, yeah. Um, which uh, Rosalind Square is like a, it is. As I'm looking at Google Maps, it's a um, a, a, a strip mall uh, at the corner of uh, Wilson Road and Rosalind Road in Wash in uh, Oshawa. Has a, stri- a Shoppers Drug Mart and a um, LCBO, which is a liquor store, and a place called Square Boy Pizza, which makes pro- in, they're not a, a sponsor of the show and won't probably will never be after I say this. Makes maybe the worst pizza I've ever had. <laughs> so, all right. So, yep. Uh, and, and I'm sure that you don't have to go very far from Rosalind Square to find uh, Tim Hortons, uh, just just by definition. Um, so, uh, yeah, Oshawa, prepare to be amazed. Trenton, uh, Trenton makes, the world takes. Uh, there we go. Um, okay, so... So I had some, so I got some stuff. I got like, I, I have a, I got a question for you. I want to tell you about what I do. I don't, I don't want to tell you about something I like or something <laughs> I use. I want to tell you about the state fair because it's, that's oh, this is, this is good. This is consuming your life. It is consuming my life, except it's, it's kind of over now. Um, although I did have to send a text. Um, uh, so let me, let me read to you the text that I, I received a message just before we started to, re- to record saying, um, from one of the people who's in charge of one of the competitions saying that a judge forgot to put a comment card on a, on a product. Um, and you know, could I come and rectify that? And I said, hi, um, I am tied up until about three o'clock ish, um, recording a podcast. <laughs> I will nice. come by the, after that, uh, and can add a comment card to the, is, to the item. Is um, that, is that really your job? Don't you have people for that, Ben? That seems no. I got no people. No, oh, it's, it's you have lots of, of people. Let me tell you about where my job. What, what, yeah, this is kind of my job. Um, my, my people. So I, I, we, there are lots of people here and there, and I, I don't refer to them as my people so much. Um, but, but are the, the people on my team are, are, are busy doing food safety things, right? <laughs> um, some of my people are in, uh, in upstate New York doing some food safety things for uh, a company you would know. Um, some of my people are here, uh, doing some work for USDA and observing people. Um, and those two projects were, I, I didn't want to take a day or two days out of people's schedule cause we're, we're on a roll, um, to do state fair stuff. So I'm, so it's my job is state fair things. I, I like to shield the world, my, you know, my, my world from this. Yeah. Well, cl- clearly the people that are in New York state, that would be silly to ask them to do this. Don't and the people them. that are, that are taking care of spending the feds money doing good research. Yeah. So shield them. I'm just surprised you don't have more people just rolling around. You can just order somebody to do. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be, uh, slim and slim and lean. Lean and mean and lean, uh, slim and slim and none. I don't I think know. You're thinking of lean cuisine. <laughs> I'm thinking of lean cuisine. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, just to, to rehash, uh, for, um, listeners who may not have listened to the past, but if you do want to, um, <laughs> learn about this every year around October 15th, 
um, go back and listen to you know the last seven years worth of episodes because I'm sure I have mentioned it on every time. Uh, I, I run, um, I'm, I, and I run is, is, uh, a bit gratuitous. I am the superintendent of judges, um, for, um, both now, now it's, it's actually three, um, competitions, um, that turned into four competitions yesterday. Um, and so the three, where I started was home food preservation, which is the one I've talked about the most. So this is canning. Um, if you want to uh, win a blue ribbon at uh, the NC State Fair, you need to register in August, and you're competing against uh, people from all across the state for best best in show and blue ribbons in in categories like mixed fruit multiple spreads um, or um, tomato whole um, or uh, you know. Um, uh, Maybe my favorite one, and I'll paraphrase this because I don't have it in front of me, but it is fig preserves, parentheses, no mock figs, because you definitely don't want mock figs, right, Don? Um, and so uh, so anyway, I oversee the judges. Every year I have to get judges. I am terrible at this job, Don. Like I, I am – as I get further into my career, I know my limitations. One of the limitations I have is just like calling people and asking them to do something that I won't be able to pay them for. And, uh, so, so every year I have to, um, re up judges and most of the time I leave it to the last minute. And fortunately I have lots of friends that, that have judged for me in the past and they come do it and they're all like food or food adjacent people. Um, a couple of years ago, I inherited the baked goods, um, category as well. One of my colleagues, uh, retired and with her went her responsibility to run that competition. So, um, so my department had asked me if I could do it and I said, sure, it's just, you know, another, um, another set of judges, no big deal. Uh, and I have looked to, you know, I, I have helped to, um, to help me do get the judges together. But the person who ran on my behalf, pulling the judges together for baked goods last year uh, and the year before, she left NC State, um, and so so then so now it was back to me running those those two. Last year they added on decorated cakes, which I know nothing about, Don, but I can get a couple of judges that do. And then this year, uh, unbeknownst to me, until we showed up, I also was in charge of um, judging the artisanal or artisanal, uh, as it's pronounced on the West Coast, um, uh, artisanal. <laughs> Only um, in certain parts of San Francisco. I certain, think. certain parts, yeah. It's a it's a it's a regional dialect in San Francisco. Uh, artisanal um, um, uh, uh, breads. So. So here's the situation that I want. Wait, wait. To run so, so sorry, sorry, okay. sorry. So, so I, I was, I was talking there, and you, you didn't, you didn't react because I was on mute. So, so mm-hmm. we've got, we've got canned goods. Got canned we've goods. We've got, um, uh, uh, what was the second one? Uh, <laughs> Go back to number two. Uh, it was um, a decorated cake. De- no, no, that was the third oh, one. Third one. The second one was a baked good. Baked goods. Okay. Baked Decor- goods. Decorated cakes. Yes, and then uh, artisanal breads, oh, which is geez. not a baked good. It's something different. Huh. I would, I would, I don't think you can make them without baking. I think you got a definitions problem there, Ben. I I think you're looking at things that are a little too logistic, logical. Yes, Uh, I think I am. uh, So, so anyway, if you, uh, if you turn to, um, 
<laughs> so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about, um, uh, canning. Everything went smoothly. Um, we, I, I reviewed a bunch of recipes. We didn't do a whole lot of pH testing this year because, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past. It's actually, there's lots of variability, but, but very few of our products are, are, um, outside of our, our safe guidelines. Um, so, so I kind of scaled that back cause I didn't have a whole lot of help on around, um, and there were new people, new staff at the fair and bless their hearts. Um, and that's not in the bless his heart kind of like, um, derogatory way, uh, bless their hearts, uh, as you know, Southern, uh, trademark Southern people, uh, uh, uh phrase, um, the it's, it's a complicated process and having new folks who haven't done it before, um, deal with, um, a 24 hour period where, um, in between the, baked goods and, um, uh, preserved foods somewhere around like 2000 products show up and we got to turn around and judge them within 24 hours. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work. So, so I took a little bit of pressure off of them because we, we kind of stressed them out the last couple of years by, by testing, like, I don't know, like 700 products over, over five years. Anyway. So, so before you move on, I just have yes. to say, um, uh, because of, uh, you know, this is a show where we read from Wikipedia, I have to read you the first part of the Wikipedia entry for bless your heart. Bless your heart <laughs> is a phrase that is common in the Southern United States. The phrase has multiple meanings, Ben. Um, uh-huh. it can be used as a sincere expression of sympathy or genuine concern. So that was the first That's use. That was did. you just did. Yeah. Right. It can some, it can be used as a precursor to, in, to, to, to an insult to soften yes. the blow. And yes. then finally, it is also sometimes used to mean, quote, you are dumb or otherwise impaired, but can't help it, close quote, by individuals who wish to, quote, be sweet, close quote, and do not wish to, quote, act ugly, end quote. Is this from, that's from the Wikipedia or is that from the Urban Dictionary? That's, that's from Wikipedia. Oh, Wikipedia. That's the Wikipedia entry for Bless Your Heart. Oh, that's so good. Um, yes. So that, I, I think you've uh, captured all the definitions. I was, mine was the use of it was the most sincere way to yes, do Yes, good. And which is the first definition on Wikipedia. <laughs> and not the one that I use the most. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, so, and so anyway, I'd like to, uh, I'd like you to open, um, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about canning. I'd like you to open, uh, a, uh, an item that is in the, uh, super secret job box that is entitled NC state fair cancels, um, King Arthur, Ooh. um, cooking contest due to flower recall. Nice. Oh, Don. Okay. So this, this is, I thought of you immediately and thought I'm going to ask Don about this. And then I was going to text you about it on Friday and I was like, no, no, we're recording next week and I'll have more information. So I'm just going to throw this at you when, when we get on the, when we get on the podcast horn. Um, so Friday, Friday afternoon, um, I get a text from, um, friend of the show and, and I, I won't, uh, I won't call any uh, names out. Um, uh, but friend of the show texts me and says, um, Hey, have you seen this? And in reference to this article and says, um, and says thoughts, question mark. And so I hadn't. Um, and so I'm going to read from the, from the article, uh, headline is NC state fair cancels King Arthur flower cooking contest due to flower recall. Um, uh, the North Carolina state fair has canceled its King Arthur flower special cooking contest, which was to be held on October 27th due to recent King Arthur flower recall. King Arthur flower unbleached all purpose flour in five pound and 25 pound bags was recalled due to the possible presence of E. coli, um, O two six. Um, safety. And then, uh, a quote from, and this was straight from a press release quote, safety is our number one priority at the fair. 
end quote, said Kent Yelverton, fair manager. That extends not only to our fair goers, but also to the judges who determine competition winners. We want to make all of our competitors aware of the expanded recall, whether you're part of a cake or cookie competition competition or using flour in other competitive areas. Expanded recall information will also be distributed to our food vendors. So additional information, blah, blah, blah. Then there's more information about um, uh uh, the King Arthur flower recall details. Um, and so they link to the, um, uh, FDA's, uh, posting of King Arthur, um, uh, brand, which is, and I'll read to, from this and we'll link to this in show notes. Um, this is in association with ADM milling company, King Arthur flower incorporated expands recall of unbleached all purpose flower, five and 10, five pound and 25 pound bags. Um, and so, um, this you know, they they give a whole bunch of lot codes going back. It's all like best before dates. Um, they have a bunch of pictures, and um, this uh, this recall was due to um, a um, a sample, uh, and it's an expansion of a recall that was announced on June thirteenth. So going back to June thirteenth, there was a whole bunch of stuff, and then I guess you know we and this is you know we we talked about flour a bunch on the on the podcast, but. Um, flour milling there, there, from my understanding, and this is from hosting a workshop on low moisture foods and flour and recalls, um, a couple of years ago at the consumer food safety education, um, conference. Uh, and I'll see if I can link to the agenda for that, um, somewhere in show notes, but, um, f- flour gets, you know, it, wheat moves from wheat fields and goes to, a, uh, like a grain elevator and then uh, you know goes on to train, um, and then goes to mills. And then in mills, it might the wheat might stick around in the mill yard for a while. The flour might stick around for a while. It's not a product that that has you know the, you you can definitely get uh, rancidity in it, and it can be mold. But it is a product that's shelf stable and can stick around. And there's lots of commingling. So having a recall from July that gets expanded to um, to October is not super surprising. Um. Okay, so all that happens. I don't hear anything about it except for this text. And my response, and I'll read directly from my um, from my text, was, um, you know, um, I said, good call, because they require you to use that specific flower and shouldn't be using recalled flower, right? So we've got, um, is it is it risky? Um, my, my concern as a food safety person is not around the, the judges as much in this situation because the product's going to be cooked. It's going to be baked. Um, it's going to be heated with wet heat, not dry heat. Um, in that, you know, there's, there's moist there, there'll be water added or some sort of moisture in this baking competition, um, that I would expect is going to give us a, um, a, a, uh, an appropriate log reduction in the baking of this of this bread, based on a whole bunch of stuff we've talked about in, in research. But what I w- what I would be concerned about is you're going to enter this specific King Arthur flour um, competition. You're required to use their flour, and now you've got to use stuff that's recalled, or there's a bunch of stuff that's on the on the, um, the that you may have in your in your pantry that that's being recalled. And I wouldn't want people to use it. I think they should dispose of it. Um, for it because of spreading the flower plume throughout their, um, throughout their, uh, kitchen. So, so that's how I answered that. Um, 
And uh, so that, you know, I said, basically said, yeah, I agree. The, the product's pretty low risk and handling the recalled flour might not be. Um, and, and so our friend of the show says, so they're doing it to protect the bakers, not the judges. And I said, yep, um, that's my guess. Well, who knows why they're doing it, but, but, right. I, but I, I agree with your assessment that this is, this is really about protecting the bakers rather than rather than the judges. Now you could al- you could also make it more nuanced. You could say, well, we'll let you compete, but you have to prove to us that you used flour that wasn't part of the recall, and now it just becomes a, a record keeping uh, nightmare. So the simplest wow. thing, well, right? right? Oh, funny, yeah. funny. You should say oh, that. Oh, oh, oh. And you and this is let let the uh, listeners be uh, prepared. I did not segue Dom with that. The, so. So so let me let me fast forward to where where we are on Friday night. When oh, I get a, okay. When I get so this a, is an evolving story. It is. It's a, this is yeah. This is evolving. So I get a message from a competitor um, who I will protect in in not the King Arthur cook flour cooking <sighs> contest, which is on October twenty seventh. Oh, but the, for the culinary baking artisanal yes. bread. Oh my! Oh my God! So you're you, okay? So I so right, so, now. so, yes. so this King Arthur contest you have nothing to do with this contest other than it's happening at the state fair of the state in which you are a, a, a state employee correct correct oh my god there's so many contests at the state fair ben i can't oh. keep them all straight we might as well call it the contest fair <laughs> because it is they got you know biggest pumpkin and best artisanal bread and everything in between well so now uh, I, I i can tell though by your segue here i know where you're going to go with this but but please let's continue yeah, yeah. Well, so let me let me pull up um, let, let me pull pull up uh, an email that I receive, and 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 this is um, and, and I'm I'm gonna you know because you know how I like to uh, I like to call people out and I like to be real I like to be I like to be candid, um, and uh, and 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 this is one where uh, so I'm uh, you know. Um, you know, remember I'm the superintendent of judges of this other competition that is not the King Arthur baking competition, but a message goes out. Um, and I need to get the actual posting of this. So, so let, let, let me ask you a question. Um, are you the only superintendent of judges or are there multiple superintendents of judges? What? And is there a super superintendent of all the superintendents of judges? There's kind of a, a super superintendent <laughs> of all the judges, the, the fair manager. Um, okay. but, but I am, I'm a superintendent of judges over four categories and there are lots of, so a uh, friend of the show, Sarah Kirby, also in my department who, you know, from Twitter, um, is a superintendent of judges over the quilting competition, which, which don't get her started about that. <laughs> oh, please let's get her started about yeah, that. This is quilt, quilting safety talk. Um, and, and so, so anyway, um, so, so I get a, uh, I get this message, um, from my, from my friend and, and I hear, I received nothing from the fair, nothing, nothing at all. I'm the superintendent of judges, right. Of, of, of a certain, not a, a slice of this competition, not the King Arthur baking competition. Right. I, I'm in this other, I mean, I'm over, I'm over here. I'm over here with the, with the artisanals. Yep. Um, and, and so, um, so I don't hear anything from the fair. Um, I, I don't, I, I email someone from the fair and I say, Hey, um, what's, what's up, what's up folks. What, what am I supposed to do? Um, and, and then I get a so, message. But wait, what was the, what was the message that you received? Well, well, so, so uh, the, oh. well, the first message was that text from this friend of the show. Right. And then I, so then I email, um, the, my, the person who I communicate with at the fair saying, Hey, I got this message. It, what's, what's up with our competition. Right. And, and I hear nothing. Right. Then at 
721. No, no, that's wrong. That is incorrect. 656 PM on Friday night, I get a message from an entry and then a participant, someone who wants to enter. Um, the uh, subject is King Arthur flower entries due Monday at noon to Ben Chapman, Benjamin. It's very formal. Um, I received the email below. It was sent out at 4.42 on Friday. I executed both the respond email and called the number below. There was no answer at the given number. The King Arthur flower recall is solely concerning unbleached all-purpose flower. It does not apply to other types of flower. I am intending to use King Arthur bread flower for competition in the culinary department. That's the one I'm in charge. As you know, entries are due no later than Monday, October 14th at noon. This is now Friday evening. I need to know ASAP if the ban applies to bread flour and why. King Arthur is the best product on the shelf. Please let me know and post something to other competitors. So so this is 6.56 p.m. Um, I'd be doing my best uh, risk communication and not having any further information and um, – uh, the, the only, uh, info that I get from this individual is, is a link, uh, to a press release. And I'm going to send you this press release that we can include in, um, in show notes. Um, the press release basically says the stuff that was in that news article, the fair is canceling King Arthur's special cooking contest. Um, it, 026, E. 026 was discovered through sampling. Safety is our number one priority, blah, 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 blah. Um, it doesn't say anything about my my competition at all. And so this is a really valid question. And it's not the only one I get. I get three more questions about this from other participants saying, I saw this because it was on the news. Are we allowed to use King Arthur unbleached flour um, in your in this competition? And and so I do a bunch of things at this point. I, this is and, and the first thing is I respond to the participants and say, I'm seeking clarification. I don't know. I, I'll respond when I have more information. But I want you to know Sounds that I was like a government cover-up, Ben. <laughs> right, it's a cover. It's it's big. We're all washed up in big flour, um, and so so I don't. I, I basically don't like. I, I don't know how the decision's been made. I don't know if it's King Arthur that's that's canceling this. If it's the fair that's canceling it, is does King Arthur? And it's not. And let me like just be clear. It's not actually a guy named King Arthur. It's the company King Arthur brand. Um, I don't know if they're just calling it off because they don't want people using. Like I don't. I literally don't know anything about it. Um, and, and so my, my understanding has become less since my previous text <laughs> message to my friend, cause I got no, I got no information now uh, coming at me from all sides. Yeah. The harder, the harder you work, the less, you know, yes, it's, you know what Trenton, Trenton, <laughs> everyone takes, <laughs> that, I think that's it. Um, so, uh, so I, I, so I send a message to all the people that I know at the fair and I get back a message that says, King Arthur flour not on the recall list is allowable. Only unbleached all-purpose flour, five pounds and 25 pounds on the recall list is prohibited. Com- competitions will send an updated email first thing in the morning as they are gone for the night. Okay, so that's Friday. All right, Friday, at, that's 721. So then I say, um, thanks. Did some official info go to all the superintendents? Like like I learned about this from the, Ed, the News and Observer, essentially. Um, is there a reason, which is the newspaper, um, is there a reason we're allowing gold medal recalled flour from two weeks ago, but not King Arthur? And so exhibit two, Dawn, in my discussion is I'm, you know, because I'm in the world of food safety. I know that things get recalled all the time. And I remember seeing something, actually sharing this with a couple of people about General Mills um, 
uh, five pound bags of gold metal on unbleached all purpose flour being recalled on September 16th. So again, this is in our super, in our, uh, in our drop box. Um, so, uh, September 16th, uh, announced a voluntary recall, five pound bags, presence of o- o- E. coli 026, which is covered during sampling of the five pound bag pro- product. My guess is Dawn, this is not something that's in either of these press, uh, press releases. Um, do you think that might be a link here? I think you, that might be a link, Ben. Uh, this I is think, a report, reportable food registry linked uh, things. Yep. I think that's what's happening, right? Yep. Like that, that we've got a common supplier and in gold metal, General Mills gold metal brand, unbleached all-purpose flour, um, is somehow somehow connected to King Arthur. And so in the same time frame, right? Like we're expanding things. So, ah. Uh, Maybe there's mixing, maybe there's commingling, maybe there's co-packing, who knows? I don't know that, and hopefully someone listening can clarify this, because we know people at General Mills, and I didn't bother uh, connecting with somebody uh, before this. So I send that message back and say, okay, great. We made a decision about King Arthur. What about these other recalled products? And Don, here's where things go fun. Well, the my initial response on Friday night is my, you know, this is, and I won't, I'll, I'll protect the innocent. Um, you know, what about this one? Are we, are we allowing this type of product that also was recalled? The, the message I get back is my best guess would be that we weren't alerted to the fact that this general mills one was recalled. King Arthur came up on radar because of the special cooking contest. And then, um, then the, um, you know, this was someone who works in communications. There's a whole bunch of people that got copied on it. And so that's Friday. Friday night, I said, okay, great. Hey, thanks. We should be consistent. And then my request for a second time is, can someone in the decision-making chain give me a call to discuss? (laughs) Yes, please. I'm happy to add my expertise as a food safety specialist. You know, if if they're, Ben, if they're they're making decisions that involve food safety, they got a guy. I'm right here. And I'm trying not to be like passive aggressive about it. (laughs) But also I'm dealing with like questions and and I'm like, I am happy to support the fair in this decision. And like I said, right at the first part, I agree with this, right? Like I right, agree. Right, right. This is a recalled product. There's a chance that there might be 026. I don't want people handling it. Don't like, this is great. Okay. So, so that's Friday. Um, Friday, uh, I, I, you know, that that's kind of the end of the conversation. So this is from, goes from 656 to 748. Um, and I'm, I, I, just to give a full peek into my life, um, Friday night, uh, went to a local restaurant called Chow. Love this place. Um, watched a hockey game with my kids, which, and I'm just doing email as we're sitting there, and 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 then it just kind of goes away, and no one no one responds. So I don't get any follow up. Don't don't hear anything. Don't hear anything at all. Um, uh, don't, don't hear anything from, from anybody. And then I send another message on Monday morning. Yeah. Well, so like, hey. let's just, let's just clarify the timeline. All of this stuff starts to blow up Friday night, yes. right? There's a weekend when people don't work, but the people who are going to, who are most concerned about this, the people who are very concerned about entering into the contest at the fair, their entries are due on Monday at noon, at noon. Can't right, probably can't probably so, wait until so nine a.m. They, they, right? Yeah, they had they need to have a decision made by, by I don't know Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Yeah, so so this is what I understand happens. Um, Friday, so another message goes out to all the competitors, and I want to I want to be real clear on this. Not the superintendent. 
So anybody who's registered to bring in some oh. some baked goods to the fair gets a message saying, um, no gold medal brand, no King Arthur brand, no ADM milling brand, because I have somehow influenced this decision making now uh, based on my email saying, hey, there are all these other things but, recalled. But, but, but you haven't influenced it well enough because <laughs> we've just got blanket bans on those uh, brands. Well, uh, so right? actually, let me clarify this. Okay. I haven't seen the message, but I think it was not. It was on the recalled items from okay. that. Like okay. they did. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so they did. Get, get, okay. Yeah. yeah. So so that goes out some at some point in between Friday night in my emails and and Monday. And I don't I don't I don't have any. I've asked for clarification. I don't know when. And no one, you know, no one, no one's responded to me. So. I, I show up at the fair on Monday afternoon, and um, and I, I like to check in the day before we do the uh, the judging, see how everything's going. Do we have lots of entries? What you know, every, you know, just just get ready for the day. Um, and I'll stick around for half an hour, an hour, and just talk with all the staff. And so one of the staff person, you know, who's in charge of all of the entry intakes, I'm like, hey, so and she's not been involved in any emails. I'm like, Kim, hey, letting them just looping you in. What's going on with the with with the flower stuff? Um, and she says all the entries entrants know about it. We and this is where it goes back to your your segue. It, we have said because we asked them to list exactly a recipe and brands they used. They that like that goes back. I don't know why that's there, but they're required to say I'm using gold medal or I'm using, you know, King Arthur, which is great in this situation. Wow. And so, that was like, just, you're just, you were just lucked into that, right? Like, yeah, that yeah. was just a pre-existing requirement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they said, okay, we, we, we sent this out saying you can't use any of the recalled products. Um, we're, we reviewed all of the, you know, thousand entries that are coming in. If it says we've used King Arthur brand, we've reconnected with these people and said, is it bread flour? Is it all purpose flour? Is it cake flour? And if it's all purpose flour, you can't, we're not allowing you to be entered into the competition. Oh, wait, if wait, it's but, one, so it's a, but it's a hundred percent ban on all purpose flour, not just the implicated the five, lot codes. No, no. Oh. The, the implicated lot codes okay. are the five, five pound and, and 25 pound. So, um, so they're starting there and saying, okay, if you, yeah, let me clarify that. If you've used that one and it's that product, then we need pictures. Send us, text us pictures of the bag that you used and demonstrate to us that it wasn't part of the recalled lot for all of them. Okay. Uh, and so it's like, wow, all that's like, all that should happen. And I wasn't part of it, which is awesome. Uh, but they were actually like trying to follow up with, with people to get it, to protect themselves and to be, in, be consistent with this whole, um, you know, with this whole situation. Well, but I have uh, to, I have to tell you, Ben, if it was somebody competing in this competition, like my wife, who, when she gets the flour from the supermarket, yep, yep. she dumps it into a, a Tupperware container. Cause that's a much better container for storing. Like any serious baker is going to do that. Right. Yep. And again, you know, now maybe the best practice in our house, although, you know, again, it's not, I'm, I'm <laughs> whatever, I'm not going to, I've, I've made, I've mentioned this to my wife, um, is to cut off the lot code and somehow tape it to that Tupperware container so that you have that information. But, but that's a, you know, that's a pretty big ask. It is. It's a big ask. And so I, what I believe happened, and this is just in that passing is that if, if people couldn't prove where they, what lot codes or what bags then, and, and they used, um, at, you know, anything that was, they weren't able to provide that information and they knew that they had used either gold metal brand or anything from, from that ADM milling recall, um, and just didn't have information that they weren't allowed to bring in their products. 
um, or they, sorry, let me go back on that. They were, those products were removed and I don't think any, like I I didn't get a sense of how many of those were. So, so the fair was doing their best job to make sure that no one was using recalled products. And they said, we have a blanket policy now that says if it's a recalled product, you can't use it. And, and if we suspect that you're using something that might be recalled, we're going to need more information on it. And that's like all this, like literally all of this infrastructure is occurring, Don, for like an $8 blue remit. Like it it is a very, it's, it's so, I don't know, like it's, it's so, there's so much infrastructure. It's very over the top, um, but people take it seriously. So, and, so and, and, and so let's take a step back and look at it from a food safety perspective. On the one hand, it's an $8 blue ribbon. On the other hand, um, this is an opportunity to do messaging, right? Yes. And to do yes. communication around best practices. And yeah, you know what? If you're baking or you're preparing something in your kitchen, a best practice is to make sure that you're not using recalled ingredients. Now, again, this is probably over the top, right? Especially given the risks, you know, the real risks are to the baker and not to the not to the 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 product, right? Because you know you're, the, the 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 bread is baked and that then essentially removes the risk, but but it is an opportunity to do some food safety education. And so, yeah, so, so net, net, I think it's a good thing. Although my initial reaction is, oh my God, what a giant amount of paperwork for crazy, nothing. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, and I'll, I'll add something else to that layer. So it's not just the food safety best practice, but we're also engaging into a conversation with people about lot codes yep. and like, which is not, this is not a normal thing. Like, like I, you know, I, I, the turkey, I'm looking at the stuff that I ate for lunch here, right? Like there's some sort of date marking or lock code on that turkey. There's information on, um, you know, I, I can get on lots of the process stuff, but I don't, I don't, I don't think about these things in my daily consumption of it or daily use of, of these products. Um, it's only when there's a situation comes up. So to this one, it, it gave a, uh, an in for that. So this is, I mean, net, net, there's a ton of positives here negatives are in the, how do we communicate this? How do we make the, de- how do we make the decision? Um, and, well, that and mo- I would say, how do you deal with angry people? Cause I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure there's going to be angry people, right? Were. Cause the stakes are so small. <laughs> yeah. Right. The stakes are so small. Um, but there, I mean, we, uh, I'm sure we can rehash the, um, the story or link to one of the previous, uh, uh, episodes. I can't remember which one where I talked about someone getting really, really upset at, at the state fair about, um, us changing rules and testing pH. Um, yeah, the people are emotional about this, right? Like yep. it matters. And, and in fact, I'm going to, I, one of my, one, one of the judges that I, that I use is someone, um, who, again, I will, I will protect her, um, her anonymity. Um, but she's a a graduate of our food science department. I've known her, uh, as a graduate student for a while. She's not one of my graduate students, but she entered, um, the home food preservation, um, competition a few years ago. Unbeknownst to me, she just told me this story yesterday. Um, and, one, um, like, uh, you know, three blue ribbons. And she was like, I, and she was like, I like actually welled up and cried when I saw that I had won this thing. Like, you know, and I was like, really? Like, but like, and I, and, and I'm more like, it makes me feel bad about, I don't take the judging, uh, getting the judges seriously. I know the judges take it seriously. When you go through some training, we talk about stuff and being objective, objective, um, in, in our, in our stuff. But, but she was, she just kind of shared, she's like, yeah, you know, these, these things, like I made really good X and I thought 
I'm going to see how it stacks up against everyone else's. And I won. And it really, she's like, I didn't think I was going to sob about it. And then here I am <laughs> on the day that it's happening. And I see my blue ribbon and I'm really emotional. And I was like, damn. So, so the stakes are there, right? Like that's the kind of level of people are, they, re- they really are, um, putting their, uh, putting their best effort in and they're, they, they're, it's a competition. It's not like, it's, I mean, it's not unlike my kids playing hockey and, and I've, I've seen multiple kids lose a hockey game, come off crying because of the emotion that they put into it. Right. They played really well. Everything went their way except for the final score. And then, and there's <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, dubs. And, and then, need some W's. Yeah. You need the dubs. Um, and they, but they cry, but, but like they get emo- enough emotion that they, that they cry. I'll, I'll tell you. Like, I think they, they need to stop skipping leg day. They got he's right. Right. <laughs> um, so like full disclosure. So last year as a coach, um, <laughs> we, we had, I, I we, uh, I don't know. I, I, it was a grind of hockey for, from, for Jack's hockey team. And I, it was the most enjoyable year that I've had coaching. We were a very competitive team. Um, the, my kid, my, my individual kid, my kid grew as a hockey player. His role changed from like, uh, throughout the year, the, the group of kids, uh, changed. Um, we, we went into our, our league championship tournament and, and won all like four straight games all by one goal and then won the championship. And I remember like after we won just this like emotional release, right? Like we, we spent hours and hours with, with these kids and they're putting in all this time and it all paid off. Like I'm welling up at the end of this thing. And so, so anyway, that's my, like, I get that from the emotional standpoint of I put a lot of work into this competition and yeah, it's, it's just an artisanal bread competition, but people do, they do care about it. And when you, when you start messing with it at the last minute, there's a lot of stress. And so you're, you're exactly right that people get like we're, we're still not I, like I'll tell you I, I just we're not through the window of having to deal with this right. like it's right like something else is going to come up yep so anyway that's my state fair story this year that's a good story so yeah when we'll uh, so I've been doing a little bit of uh, searching on our website and I think I think the one where you talked about pH testing and told that story is probably food safety talk uh, 137 grandma makes the best pickles so <laughs> that we'll, sounds we'll, about right we'll, we'll link to that. <laughs> so we talk about state fair judging and pH test strips. So, uh, um, so, okay. So there's that. And then I just want to give one shout out before we get into, um, other like, you know, red, red dot feedback ones. Um, the red dots is what we, we have in our, our, our Dropbox folder for those who can't see it. Um, <laughs> if you can see it, please, everybody. uh, <laughs> please let us know. Yeah. Um, so right before I recorded this podcast today, I got to um, hang out with uh, a friend of the podcast, uh, Dr. Beth McCoy. Nice. Yeah, uh, virtually. So I spoke to her class um, um, and uh, her. I spoke to her class about um, the uh, um, IRB research situation that I talked about um, on an episode um, a while back. And it was episode... Um, uh, where is it? Uh, episode 163 grown on chia pets. Um, and I, uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll link to that. Um, oh no, uh, maybe that was the different one. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, I don't know if that was the right one. Grown on chia pets. Does that live from, uh, I don't know. This is, this is it. This, this is the one about, um, 
something. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm clearly not prepared uh, for the conversation. Uh, anyway, I talked to her class about um, someone in one of my research studies uh, getting really upset um, about informed consent, and I won't rehash that whole thing. But um, Beth said to say hi uh, to you, and oh. uh, um, and, and that she um, uh, you know name dropped uh, you and our podcast, and makes her class listen to the podcast uh, at least for this part of the syllabus. Uh, and it was really cool to see her, and she's. Uh, she was one of our favorites. So, uh, so shout out to, to Beth and thanks for inviting me to talk to her to your class today. Well, speaking, speaking of favorites, um, <clears throat> and doing a search on our website for the phrase informed consent. Um, the, the only, the only one I, only episode I could find, uh, is, is episode, uh, 65. All my ports are engaged. Um, uh, which I'm pretty sure you didn't talk on because it's just me and bats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's yeah. I think this is the right one. I think she has the right one. It's, it's uh, 163 grown on Chia pets. Okay. Um, and she says that it's, uh, um, starting at, so this is, uh, you know how I like to tell long stories, Don, this, this just <laughs> perfectly. starting at 26 minutes in and ending at one twenty seven thirty nine. Oh my! We, yeah. Listen to Ben's uh, story. Um, and so we, in our show notes, it says the guys, uh, talk about date balls, chia and in, in immunocompromised individuals. So, um, so anyway, I think that's, uh, that's where I talk about it. Um, anyway, so what do you what do you, what do you want to talk about now that I've talked about the state fair for an hour or whatever? Um, I I am happy. Oh, you know what? Let's do this one because this one just came in. So we're sorry to all the folks that uh, are you know we're, we're <laughs> going we're going top of the stack now. Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, you know, uh, last in first out. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say whether we're popping the stack or not. I think it might be popping the stack, but please, please email Ben. Um, yeah, I think so, we're, shucking, we're shucking and driving, diving the, the, yeah. the shack, the stack. So, uh, you can read my message, but not my name. So we'll call this, uh, this, uh, person, uh, deep game, a uh, long time, long time emailer of the podcast. So, uh, I'll read read from the message. <clears throat> uh, so I have always been told by non-food safety folks that wild game should be cooked well done. This this is simply one of those things handled handed down from generation to generation. When I when I learned to hunt to hunt and handle wild game. To be more specific, I'm talking about deer and elk meat and whole muscle cuts. I am not talking about ground meat. I'm also talking about true wild game, not farm-raised animals. What are your thoughts on cooking wild game to medium rare? Would you consider medium rare wild game higher risk than medium rare whole beef muscle? Uh, I'm sure both of you are well-versed in hunting and eating wild game. Um, And so I did some searching, and it's interesting. It looks like there used to be some information on the USDA website about this, but... um, it was. It's not there, but somebody uh, on a, a smoking meats forum found a page that was uh, they, that they pulled off the archives from somewhere and, and posted it. Um, Thermopen, interestingly, uh, Thermopen on their uh, ThermoWorks blog uh, has a, 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 a posting entitled "Hunting Season: Don't Fall Prey to Foodborne Illness." I think that's a pun. Um, and then I did find something from Penn State on uh, processing of wild game and fish. And we'll, we'll link to all of these things. 
But, you know, it's interesting because wild game is not regulated by uh, FDA or USDA. Um, if it is commercially slaughtered, there are certain um, uh, species that are actually regulated by FDA and not by USDA. And, and the, so from a regulatory picture, it gets really murky. Um, so with that as a preamble, and before we actually answer uh, Deep Game's uh, question, do you have thoughts on this, Ben? I do. So, so I, I reached into my food code, uh, um, arsenal on this one a little bit because it is, it is kind of covered in raw animal foods because I can get wild game in, in restaurants. Um, I, you know, I've, I've been in, into places, um, before where there are, um, and so let me say not wild game, game animals. Um, I want to be real, real clear on that. So I can, there, there, I can raise, you know, farm raised game animals, um, uh, for, uh, for, for consumption. And so, but, but, the, but you, what you cannot do is you cannot hunt legally, I believe cannot hunt wild game and then serve it in a restaurant. Is that right? Well, so the, and I'm going to, this is one I want to make a little, um, check a little clarification. I think I, I think you can, and I'm going to read from the, from the food code here. Um, and this is in, uh, you know, cause people love us when we listen, when we read from the food code, um, this is in cooking, uh, chapter three, three, four, Oh, one dash one, one raw animal foods. And so it says that it, it is, um, uh, 68 degrees Celsius, 155 Fahrenheit for 15 seconds, or the temperature specified in the following chart corresponds to the holding time for ratites, mechanically tenderized and injected meats. Um, oh, this is if, if they're combinated. Sorry, never mind. Never mind. Um, but game animals are, are referred to here, and it's game animals under a voluntary inspection program. So I think what I could do is is shoot and, and, or hunt. Maybe I've got a bow, maybe I'm trapping it. I don't even know how people kill animals, but if I can get a game animal and then put it under voluntary inspection, which does exist, there's a couple of, um, uh, places in, in my state that'll do this where I can, um, pack it at a, at a co-packer, um, and go under voluntary inspection that I think it can then go into, um, into commerce in some states. Well, I don't know if it's well, and and of course, yeah. I mean, if it's in the food code, it means that that there probably are states that want to be able to allow this. Yes. So, so yeah. I so I stand corrected. You can you can hunt uh, and kill wild game and serve it in a restaurant, assuming you follow the the recommendation, assuming that your state food code is 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 matches what is written here in the FDA model code. Right, and and if it's and so this is where the the temperature gets really fun and goes back to the to deep games question. Did we decide this deep game? I think so. Yeah. Um, so the food code says if you're going to get game animals that are commercially raised for food and game animals that are under a voluntary inspection program, the restaurant can cook it to 155 for 17 seconds. If it's wild game animals, then you got to cook it to 165. And that's really weird to me. Right. So so that's where I think we get into the question of, OK, um, deer and elk meat, whole muscle cuts, what's the right temperature? Well done, undercooked. Well, we actually, the way that I read the food code is we actually have two different temperatures and it's, if it's like deer that's raised, it's okay to 155. And if it's wild, then we're worried about different things in the wild and you got to cook it to 165 if you want to sell it commercially in a restaurant, Right. which I would, which is what I would follow if I was recommending it to people in their homes. Well, right. 
uh, well, yeah, and that certainly would be like fail safe, right? That's a conservative right, right, right. Uh, assessment. Yes. Now, the question that I have to ask, though, is what's the scientific basis for any of this? Right. And, I, and I suspect it's not there, right? So, yeah. So this is one where um, it's good for us to go into the annex of the food code. And um, where is this? I did. I just saw this. Um, public health reasons. Um, oh, that's nutrition labeling. No. Okay. Let me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So temperature for me. So this is on page annex three of the food code, page 436 for those who are just studiously following, following along, um, at home. Um, the, the, there's the only submit, um, uh, where we go, sorry, 435 and 436. Um, there is a, it takes. yeah, whatever it takes. There's a study from Goodfellow and Brown that says a 5D reduction of organisms is achieved at 155 for 17 seconds for the following foods, ratites and injected meats, communated, communuted, feet, mish, fish, meat, game animals commercially raised for food, and game animals that come under the voluntary inspection. And so I think what, what the food code is following is this Goodfellow and Brown study. Are you familiar with Goodfellow and Brown? That sounds very familiar, yes. So um, it is referenced here. Let me find it. Um, uh, I lost it. Uh, anyway, so I, I believe that's the, uh, what all of the, what the food code bases their, um, their cook temperatures on. Um, and, but it doesn't give a reference to the next one, which is about, um, wild game. It, it just says like all of the cooking parameters, um, for, um, like, um, are related, related to reference that could fill in Brown study. Um, the only thing that it mentions in when it comes to wild game is on page 436 of the food code, uh, public health reasons. Um, and it says in November, 1997, NACMIF meat and poultry subcommittee revisited time and temperature cooking for hamburger and advised FDA that cooking hamburger to 158 for less than one second is adequate based on the following. And then it, there's this orphan kind of sentence that says the parameters for cooking poultry, wild game, animal meats, stuffed food products, et cetera, of 165 for above for one second yield greater than a seven D reduction. And, but it doesn't give a reference. <laughs> So I don't know if that's in that 1997 NACMIF subcommittee document, but, um, but I, you know, I don't know. Right. And so, and, and I did find Goodfellow and Brown, um, it's 1978, uh, fate of salmonella inoculated into beef for cooking. Yes. Um, and yeah, and, and I can, I can tell you, like I can do D values and Z values, uh, with the best of them, Ben, and I can tell you what the cooking process, uh, will give you. But what I want to know is, who decided what the acceptable log reduction was? Yep. What assumptions was that based on, right? And and I would be, with wild game, is it really more likely, is it to be contaminated with salmonella? I, I, I mean, I certainly there's things I in wild game we got to be worried about, but I, I don't think it's salmonella per se. Yeah. I would be more, more worried about weird parasites, um, you know, and things like that, so... Well, and, and this this kind of connects back to a conversation we had, um, I guess, it was two episodes ago when I visited with you in New Jersey, right? Was that was that 
two. No, that was we've we've recorded since then, I think. Um, so uh, I talked about getting a question about roadkill, food safety, and and game, you know, field dressing. Uh, uh, roadkill animals and all, all that kind of stuff. And I actually got another call about this from a different journalist, um, yesterday, uh, because, um, the state of Car- uh, California has recently changed a law. So we'll have to talk with, uh, um, with, with our friend, uh, Linda Harris on this. Um, but there's a, a state law that allows uh, people to salvage and eat deer while pigs and other big game killed by cars. And and I, I give the same so that you know the the journalists want to know the same thing that I that um, I was asked about a while ago, which is is what's what do I have to do about it? You know what what do I have to do differently as a consumer? Uh, is there anything that I have to worry about? And I'm 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 gonna come back to um, the this analogy that I like, which is it's a risk continuum, and the least risky foods that we're talking about if it was like deer is something that's farm raised and goes through this voluntary inspection process. Um, and more risky is, um, uh, is, you know, something that I shoot that I saw, you know, running or alive. Um, and, and the risk is a little bit different because I think from a wild side of things, there are different pathogens that we worry about, um, trichinosis and brucellosis and tuberculosis, um, from a handling. And then, and then roadkill would be more risky than that. And, and, and I, I agree exactly with your, with your point. Is there any data that shows that, that salmonella is more likely, more likely in that wild game than in the farm raised deer? I don't know if we have any data on that, but that's the assumption I think is, is that it's more, more likely to be there in, in a higher abundance. So we have to add an extra 10 degrees onto it. I, I mean, I think that's how the food code's looking at it. I just, you know, but I don't, I don't know where the, I, I don't, I, I don't know to your point who made the decision and what data did they make it on. Right. Other than, well, yeah, 10 degrees sounds good to me. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. better Cause, than. Cause 10 is safer than, than, than five, five right? and not, I mean, but it's not as safe as 15, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but 15, that's just crazy. And what, you know, why? Yeah. So, uh, you know, absolutely all, all of that. So, I mean, Coming back to Deep Game's question, um, I, I, you know, I think that that this this idea, I would I would go with um, with temperatures, and I think the the safest, the, although it may not be based on any data that we can see, is to cook it to to one sixty five, and that might be medium rare. I don't know. Do you think that's medium rare? No, I think that's high. I'm than pretty medium. sure that's not medium rare. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say, you know, again, we don't endorse it, but take a look at the the post from Smoking Meat Forums, um, where again they they somebody has gone to the hard work of finding this document that used to be on the USDA website, putting it on an Amazon S3 server, um, and and people talking about like uh, you know. Uh, the only you know, only time I take venison near 160 is when making pastrami. Otherwise, it's never over 130. Uh, 160 would be dry and tough. Um, so, you know, I mean, these are people that actually do this. Again, we don't recommend that these practices, but obviously, you know, these are, uh, you know, well, and, and again, the same, the, and then somebody else uh, quoting that message says, I, I believe it is important to hit 160 for feral hog and for bear meat. Um, those animals just get into too much stuff and trichinosis is a real factor with them. And again, this person's, you know, not, maybe not a scientist, but but I would certainly agree with that. Um, yeah, and we, we have had 
Okay, I believe there have been reported outbreaks of trichinosis from bear meat jerky and cougar jerky. Um, you know, I would worry much more about trichinosis from feral hogs than I would from farm-raised hogs. We've, we've got the trichinosis problem in the in the, the farm-raised hog population well under control, but not not on the not on the feral side. So, yeah, and and we'll link to. Uh... Um, a CDC page on trichinosis information for hunters, and they oh. they call out yeah, they call out um, wild game meat such as bear um, is uh, you know, trichinosis cases and outbreaks have been caused by the consumption of brown and black bear, wild boar, and cougar uh, in the lower 48, and in Alaska, walrus, black, brown, grizzly, and polar bear, and in Hawaii, wild boar. Cool. Uh, yeah. And coyotes and foxes, just uh, as an FYI, deep game, uh, have not yet been implicated in uh, any reported trichinosis cases or outbreaks. But there's been at least one reported case attributed to the consumption of undercooked raccoon. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the bottom line is eat eat raw, wild, eat raw game. Eat wild game if you want. But um, I don't think we have uh, clear-cut science-based cooking directions. I think you're always you're always okay to, to cook it to you know to to one uh, to one to one sixty right or one sixty five whatever it takes whatever it takes um, yeah so I'm sorry we couldn't be more helpful but but this just points out you know how how hard it is to to do this and again I'm I'm just real interested um, that they're really other than the food code I didn't and I didn't go back and look exhaustively on on the USDA or the FDA websites I did I did check. Um, food, uh, foodsafety.gov or fight back and, and really did not find anything on, on wild game, which is kind of disappointing. Well, yeah. Um, but, uh, and just call out, I think you might've mentioned this already, but I'm going to come back to it. Um, just call out to our colleagues at Penn state, uh, extension, cause they do have a really nice fact sheet on game meat safety. And I know they have a program that they run for hunters in uh, the state of Pennsylvania, uh, about, uh, um, safe hunting and food that, that our friend, um, Kathy Cutters has been involved with and, and talk. Cause I've seen some pictures that she's posted on, on Facebook and they talk in their materials about specifically about dehydrating tur- um, jerky, uh, and, and heating it to 160 before the dehydration process. Um, but anyway, you know, sh- shout out to, um, to Penn State for, for that stuff. Yeah, and we'll, well, they have a, 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 a fact sheet that we will, that we will link to uh, most assuredly. Oh, and I, I do want to point out my new favorite go-to information, go-to place for information is the USDA Food Keeper app. Um, and they do have uh, cooking directions uh, for venison. Um, and that's uh, 160 uh, safe minimum temperature for cooking venison. There you go. There you go. Um, so Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Hey, do you know? So, just speaking of of uh, of uh, USDA and stuff, um, you know they used to have this uh, this program called Ask Karen. Yes. Yeah. So it's not called that anymore. It's now called Ask USDA, and huh. I like that. I like that. Huh. I like. So, I miss Karen though. Well, Karen, just like, do you watch John Oliver at all? We had, Karen, we had, we had Karen to, from accounting. We had we had to stop watching because uh, it was it was making us uh, crazy. Um, so yeah, and and by us I mean really my wife controls the remote. So I don't, yeah. I don't think we get that channel anymore. What? Yeah, there's no. Well, what? So if you go to Ask USDA and say what temperature? Uh, sure. Um, I'll do this right now. Okay. Sure. Can I cook venison too? Uh, it says. Uh, uh, 
I think I spelled that right. Um, it says what is the it says search results. What is the internal temperature for cooking time for turkey? Nope. Turkey, turkey parts, cook organ meat. Can I t- cook it overnight? Uh, yeah, it doesn't say anything about venison. What about maybe if I say deer? So anyway, ask. Go check out Ask USDA, but you may have to ask a couple of different times. Uh, they don't have anything. So, so this is is this the uh, ask.usda.gov page? Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna ask what happened <laughs> to Karen. <laughs> <laughs> to Karen. Oh, what happened to Karen? She's not here. Karen's not here. Yeah. <laughs> First, first hit is what happens to my formal equal opportunity opportunity complaint, uh, equal employment opportunity complaint once it's filed. Uh, next highest hit, what happens to a bovine animal after it has received anti-mortem inspection? Um, I, I'm, so, I think they're, I think they're trying to hush it up. Yeah. What happens to my body after I eat food contaminated with microbes? I oh wait, does Ask Karen provide recipes? Oh, I found that one. I just said <laughs> I just put it. Ask I, my question was, where's Karen? <laughs> and all I got was two hits, which was, um, does Ask Karen provide recipes? And the answer is no. Um, and uh, where can I find frequently asked food safety questions? And it says Ask Karen is a virtual representative. Huh. I I think they got to work on their website. Oh, where's Karen? Uh, we can, we can, I got, I got friends there. I can talk to them. Um, cool. Cool. Anyway, good. Yeah. Good question from, from deep game. And, and I guess the bottom line is it's not, we don't know. I mean, it seems like a good, you know, 160, 165 seems like good temperatures, but we don't know exactly how those decisions were made. Yeah, actually, the next thing I want to talk about uh, comes from um, listener to the podcast. Uh, we'll call him uh, Deep Pumpkin, um, former former graduate student of mine. Um, have have you? And he sent us a link, and it, mostly it was to you because uh, he yeah. says hi Ben exclamation uh, mark and then Don. I know um, I forgot. Yes, I love this. Uh, so had you? So we'll talk about this in just a minute. Had you heard of this thing before now? I, Yes. Okay. So, so yeah. So some, yeah. So um, Deep, Deep Pumpkin sends us a message about uh, a project called the Teal Pumpkin Project, and it encourages households to have non-food treats to hand out to children with food allergies. Um, and uh, and so he describes the process as simple. Go to Teal Pumpkin page website, um, and, and he says, Ben, this is where you say you'll add the link to the show notes. And so uh, we'll add the link to show notes. Uh, add your address to your local map. Your name uh, and addresses are not shared beyond the local map. The group will delete every info, info every year, get some non-food treats, put out a teal pumpkin and or tape one of the official flyers near your door, hand out the treats, and sign up again next year. Repeat ad infinium. Um, and the group's not looking for any donations. They don't share your info. Uh, and you can, uh, when you register, monthly newsletter uh, defaults unchecked. Um, but yeah, I'd heard about this last year or maybe maybe two years ago. Um, we actually had a teal pumpkin um, in our in our neighborhood, uh, and um, and they had some information like a, like a printout or a brochure. I think it was from uh, the teal pumpkin project website. Uh, and it's from uh, the group that promotes this is the Food Allergy Research and Education Group, FAIR. Uh, and they FAIR is really my go-to place on all food allergy things. Um, I may have told this story before, but I, I the um, the previous incarnation of FAIR, I saw one of their um, board representatives speak at a conference when I was in grad school. It was actually at a 
um, I think it was like a Kentucky affiliate meeting, uh, IAFP affiliate meeting in uh, Louisville, um, in Louisville, uh, in, in like 2004, 2003, um, that I was also giving a, a talk at. And I remember just like being, it, it was my introduction to food allergy, uh, epidemiology and food allergy impacts from a retail and consumer standpoint. So there, it's a great, great organization for, um, uh, not, not only like advocate advocating for, um, individuals with food allergen allergies, but also coming up with cool things like this and training and education. So, cool. and they, uh, they used to be food allergy anaphylaxis network, yep, right? Yep. Same. And, yep. yep. Same. Yep. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, so, um, deep pumpkin has, has actually inspired me with this message. I think we're going to do a teal pumpkin this year. We're going to do this at my house. We're going to cool. do, we're going to do a teal pumpkin and a non teal pumpkin. And we're going to have non food treats. Uh, it, we're not just going to give out non food treats cause, cause we, we also are going to give out some foods, but, um, but yeah, I, um, I'm all about, I'm all about this. Well, good. That's good. I, we're not going to do that because it's all we can do to just give out food treats. So, yeah. Um, but this is yeah. This is a ni- this is a real. It's a nice idea, and I really I like the I like the logo. I like the the the, the teal colored pumpkin. It's a very it's a very nice night, and they got a nice little picture of a teal pumpkin uh, on the on the top of the webpage. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ni- nice good. nicely executed project. I think. Good job. Thanks, uh, thanks, listener. Uh, uh, Deep pumpkin. Um, okay. So let's go, let's go down to the, let's go down to the bottom here. So this is the best. So speaking of podcasts that were never in Seattle, um, we had, we had someone who, who joined our podcast, uh, that was not in Seattle, but it was in Renton, uh, Virginia, um, uh, <laughs> deep, deep guy from Bothell. Uh, and who is a non-food safety person who came uh, to to the talk? So shout out to Deep Guy from Bothell. Um, and he sent us uh, a message uh, and said, "Curious as to your thoughts on this one and the safety of microplastics in food in general." Um, and he links to an article in uh, from a Canadian article, uh, just keeping with the theme of our our, our project here or our episode here. Um, and, and it was uh, from the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, headline is some tea bags may shed billions of microplastics per cup. Silken bags for premium teas are made of PET or nylon, but it's not known if it poses ho- poses health risk. Um, and so just reading from this article, uh, it, it actually references a study from McGill University. Um, you may be swallowing billions of tiny, tiny plastic particles while sipping a cup of freshly brewed gourmet tea. A new study from McGill uh, in Montreal suggests many fancier teas come in these silken bags instead of paper. Some of them are pyramid-shaped, and which is billed as a way to make room for larger leaves in premium teas to expand. Uh, and uh, Natalie uh, Tufenkenji, uh, I didn't. I, I butchered that. Butchered that name. Uh, <laughs> professor of chemical engineering. I'm just going. Uh, at Montreal University, was surprised to find one such bag of tea she ordered from a coffee shop one morning. It looked like plastic. She recalled. I said, "Oh my God! I'm sure if there's plastics, it's breaking down into the tea." Uh, and so her her group um, in, investigate this. And and the uh, the punchline, I guess, from the study was one bag could contain 1.6 billion microplastic. Or uh, and one and three point one billion nanoplastic particles, uh, they estimated from their research that was in environmental science and technology. So, so Don, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Oh uh, well, and we should we should also there's actually another piece of feedback uh, that came in right around the same time um, from um, oh yeah uh, a long time uh, long time listener uh, Scott. 
uh, oops, who says you can read my message, but not my name. Um, not Scott. Not Someone Scott. Else. No, it's definitely not Scott. But anyway, another uh, Adam uh, Ragusa video. Um, he sent us some of those before, this time about the impacts of food-adjacent plastics on oh, health. Yeah. And so uh, we'll link to that. The, the, I'll read uh, just – you can watch the Wikipedia video. But um, the, the head the – the, the top the top uh, uh, comp line in, in the in the YouTube is, uh, it's true, chemicals in common food plastics mi- mimic estrogens in your body, potentially car causing fertility problems in men, heart problems in women, developmental problems in children. Um, and actually, they got information from Dr. Scott Belcher at North Carolina State University. Do you know Dr. Scott Belcher? Ben? I, I don't. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know Dr. Scott Belcher. Um, but I, I did uh, watch the video and, and then uh, um, Google him. But yeah, we've not, uh, we, we don't know each other. Or at least he does, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, neither you nor I are toxicologists. Um, I, I tend to be skeptical about all of these things. Um, I know food poisoning from bacteria is real and I guess that's, yeah, I mean, I mean, so I guess, well, let me, let me ask the question in a different way. So, okay. So some tea bags may shed billions of microplastics per cup. Okay. So what am I supposed to do with that information? Right, 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 like, right. How am I going to be? How am I going to be different? Uh, is there a way that you can identify? It? Well, first of all, let's set aside the issue of risk. Okay, let's assume that they're dangerous. Right. Um, I think that might be a, a not a correct assumption. Right. But how would I, as a consumer, make better decisions? And and uh, and to a certain extent, with respect to things like this, um, I trust the FDA. Right. I trust that if there was really a risk risk from this, or if the risk rose to a certain level, that my colleagues in the FDA would take action and would have legislation. Now I realize that takes time and it's potentially a you know a gradual process. Um, but I don't know. I just I just tend to not worry about this stuff, which I'm not saying is the right thing. I'm not saying that you you the listener should do that. I just I just don't worry about this stuff. Right. And and I I, I guess I I look at this in a in a couple of different ways. So one one is um, if I do choose to avoid plastic tea bags, I should have some sort of way to do that. Right. I don't let, let's not worry about, um, figuring out the difference between risk and risk perception. If someone believes that there's a risk in, involved in here, regardless of whether there, there is or isn't, I should be able to try to avoid it. And I think this is very analogous to BPA free, um, containers. And again, the like Don said, neither of us are toxicologists. And I don't really want to get too far down that path of things that we don't know about. Um, or don't have expertise in, but I, but I agree with you. If uh, I, I trust the toxicologists at the regulatory agencies at CDC, um, at FDA who, who regulate these things and, and look at consumer products, just like I, I trust the regulators at, um, at FDA and USDA to regulate food safety, right? Like it's in, in a very, in a very similar, similar way. Um, is it, is it possible that we're, that we're being exposed to things that that down the road will find are harmful. Yeah, I mean that's that that's there all the time. I, um, we, I, I gave the example um, about bacteriophage when I talked to Beth's class earlier today, where um, they, you know we're we're consuming you know millions of bacteriophage a day uh, just because they are in the environment. Um, do do we know for sure? that they aren't going to harm us. Well, we're pretty sure, right? Like, I mean, we've, we've been consuming them for 
basically eternity as long as there's been uh, humans around and and we're exposed to them and we don't have any information to show that there's any any health risks and and I put plastics in that same 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 vein um, it, it is one of these situations where it's it's easy on the easier on the side of of someone who chooses to avoid them to say yeah but we you know we've only been consuming these micro microplastics or nanoplastics for um decades not not you know millions of years and and maybe there's something maybe we just haven't caught it yet and that's it's all this is all true um but based on the data that we have and the best available science, I don't. It's not something that I can can um, I concern myself with, and definitely not on the same par as you know keeping um, salmonella out of the out of, out of my out of my pork or whatever. Right, and and you know one of the things that I very clearly remember, and I've talked about it before on the podcast, is I will always remember um, when I started uh, as a food safety professional because it was about a month before um, uh, sixty minutes uh, had the show on Alar and apples, and yep. and and back then, back in the late eighties, early nineties, people were normal people um, were mostly concerned about chemicals in their food. And and people like me at the universities and, and other, other food safety experts were saying, well, no, really, the real risks are microbiological. And, and I think to a large part that has changed. And so now people in the general public are more sensitized to realize that, that, that there are real true risks from um, microbial uh, hazards in foods. And, and I can take, I can point you to paper by Scallon et al. from 2011 that talks about all the different things that people get sick from and people get, are hospitalized and they die. And the the, the problem or the, the, the situation with toxicology is different, right? Because it's usually not acute. It's, it's right, something right. where there's long-term effects or there's uh, birth defects or it's long-term cancer risk. It's not that you eat this food, you eat this tea bag full of microplastics and die, right? It's that over time uh, that may uh, pose uh, health risks, right? And and while while we're dealing with this, actually, we had a bunch of um, messages about chemical food safety, and I'll, I'll just do the last bit of feedback so we can close out all of these. And this is from uh, listener Zach. Um, uh, we'll call him uh, Deep Chemical, uh, and we'll just read his message here. He says, "I'm a big fan of the podcast. I uh, learned about it from Merlin Mann. Started listening around episode 140. Working my way through the back uh, backlog. Uh, may have been addressed at some point, um, but this is a lingering question since I've started listening, and I haven't heard it discussed at length yet. I think today, uh, Zach, this will this will be the at length discussion. Yeah, um, yeah. Can you talk about food safety issues related to? microscopic but inorganic contaminants, not microorganisms, but things like chemicals, detergents, heavy metals, what have you. I know there have been discussions of things like glass and other debris in food, but I'm thinking more on the molecular level. Are there cases of outbreaks for this type of thing? The only thing that I thought of was water contamination. And, and yeah, for sure, the situation in Flint, Michigan with lead in the water is, is horrible, right? Um, I, re- I vaguely remember a lead scare in D.C. from when I was young. And, of course, there have been recent water issues as well. I think he's alluding to Flint, Michigan. Um, so are there other types of inorganic contaminants that come up in the food safety world? Um, what food safety considerations relating to inorganic contaminants do you think it's worth uh, knowing about or sharing? And so yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think probably we shouldn't say inorganic, but let's say chemical, right? I think that the yep. chemical or toxicological risks. And so, you know, one thing that I, I do want to mention, again, talking about our friends at the FDA, um, 
I can remember numerous conversations with Don Zink when he worked at the FDA um, about uh, FDA was finding high levels of arsenic in rice, uh, and they were really worried about that. Now, it happens to be naturally present. It has to do with the level of arsenic in the groundwater and the irrigation practices and to what extent the rice is processed. Um, but FDA was really worried about this and, and really wanted to uh, you know, do something to, to try to get this 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 the potentially contaminated product out of the market and so and it was a, a long process and they're still they're still waging on that waging that process but but I, I mean there are outbreaks um, that are linked to chemical risks but they tend to be maybe fewer uh, fewer than than food safety and I would say most again if you if you and we talked about uh, with the teal pumpkin right I mean one of the most prominent uh, chemical risks would be allergens right and so there and there are those are real risks and people do really uh, suffer from that but there are also, risks related to uh, accidental or even in some cases intentional contamination. I remember an intentional case a number of years ago where somebody took an insecticide uh, and put it into ground beef at a store because he had a he had some sort of a, a maybe it was a disgruntled worker from the store. I don't remember the details, but so there there can be there can be those kind of things, and it can also happen uh, accidentally. I, I remember actually we had a. Um, food product, uh, a bottle of wine. It was a Jersey Blues bottle huh. of wine. Uh, we opened it up and it tasted like sanitizer. And so, so oh, well, we're not going to drink that and, and send it off to my to my buddy, uh, Gary Pavlis, who works with the wine industry in the state and said, hey, look, you know, you probably should, I don't think there was a lot code or anything, but obviously, you know, that can happen, right? You can have mistakes and, and things should, could end up in there that would not be good for you. Um, and but I, But people would obviously worry more about the things like we didn't drink the wine because it tasted like sanitizer, right? But but people would worry about things that are there that can make you sick uh, that wouldn't uh, that you wouldn't be able to taste or notice. Yeah, well, so you hit on all the stuff that I was going to talk about. The only thing that I'll add is around mercury and fish. Yep, um, and uh, we'll link to um, two things. One, there's a, a, a good mercury fact sheet from CDC about um, organic mercury and methyl mercury and, and uh, leading to. <laughs> excuse me, uh, damage to nervous system and, and the risk of, uh, mercury in, in pregnancy. Uh, and then the, uh, um, uh, arsenic in rice and rice products. Uh, the FDA in 2016 had a, uh, released a risk assessment, uh, of that and which, which garnered a little, a little bit of attention. Um, uh, and, and, you know, and I did a, a I think a little bit of, of uh, media about that and shared that with with extension agents, um, and and as I heard, like as you were talking through, um, you know, sort of the the toxicology, the challenges that we have in toxicology and in in um, chemicals, um, it, it reminds me a little bit, and this will you know come back to my my favorite uh, pathogen, but it, it reminds me a little bit of toxoplasma, where. We as or or other parasites where most of the foodborne pathogens that we worry about have a um, an acute response and yes there may be some long term health issues um, your reactive arthritis being really um, a, a common one when it comes to to salmonella but um, most of the things that you and I focus on are, are relatively quick and and when it comes to chemicals we have this bioaccumulation issue and exposure over time and and and, and not not a 
it's it's like a slow trickle that doesn't throw a switch where an infection like with E. coli 157H7 is like a switch, right? Like you're you're not infected, then you're infected and, and the, the pathogen is creating toxin and it overwhelms your system. Where over time it's just so slow when it comes to any of our concerns over over chemicals that it's it's hard for the epidemiology to to fall in place and uh, to to really point out things. And that's really how I see toxo, right? Like where right. You, it may be 30 years before someone has shows signs of mental illness um, because of something that they ate, you know, undercooked 20 years before, um, yep. which is really, yeah, or handled food or whatever it is. So, yep. so anyway, that, that, that's the only, my only additions. So I have, I have two more things. One is a quick callback to the uh, flower uh, discussion earlier in the podcast. And I was going to mention this because we got one of these recordings as well, but uh, we had um, uh, Keith Huss uh, on Twitter, who is apparently not a bot, according to his Twitter name. Not a bot. Um, he says, I just received this voicemail message from Stop and Shop. Um, and he has a screenshot of the voicemail transcription on his phone. Uh, uh, this is Sarah with Stop and Shop calling with an important product recall announcement, King Arthur Flower. Our unbleached, all-purpose flower has been recalled due to blah, blah, blah. And it gives goes on to give the information. Um, and he says, uh, I guess those loyalty cards tracking my purchase history may be good for something after all. And I had the same reflection because we got a call uh, also not from Stop and Shop, but from Wegmans around the King Arthur flower that we that we purchased. And so, so uh, I, I just as a bit of a... Uh, a note to people that um, these shoppers clubs, you know, you, you, you can feel how you feel about shoppers clubs, but one advantage of using a shoppers club card is it does give your purchase information to the supermarket. And in the event that you've purchased something that has been subject to a recall, that's a way of them alerting you. And the, and the, the, the chains do do it and you do get calls from, from time to time. And so this, in this King Arthur flower was an example where um, uh, not a bot uh, <laughs> on Twitter and, and us, uh, got got phone calls, so uh, I think I yeah. just wanted to put that out there for people that might uh, that might think about uh, might not have known that that shoppers club cards can be used in this way. Yeah, no, this is this is good, and and there was a um, a discussion at the conference for food protection in 2018 um, in in Richmond um, at one of the councils about requiring. Um, shopper card information to be shared with public health investigators, which is a, it's a, a, a you know, that's a layer upon this, right? So um, I, I believe that it was debated for for quite some time and and that that issue did not move on to get involved in, to not, it's not in the food code. Right. Um, um, but it, it, there's, there's like a, uh, when it, like I really like the use of these shopper cards for this type of thing. I really like it when I, I would choose to shop at a place that does this over a place that doesn't do it. I think it gets into a really interesting spot when the regulatory world gets into that and says, "Oh, you need to track these things, right?" Like that could be a real business burden on on a small independent grocery store or or other um, business or. If you do track it, you need to share it with us, which is a whole other area, right? Like, so, so it's I um, now and and this the reason why I thought about this is, um, and this is a plug. I'll see if I can find this link real quick, but there's a, <coughs> excuse me, um, there's a meeting that I feel like um, there I feel like there should be a bell and then a a commercial and every time I hear you cough uh, every like time that, I, every time I cough like this you know, John Roderick cough. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a public. The FDA is holding a public meeting. A friend of the podcast, uh, Frank Giannis, is uh, putting together something on next Monday called uh, uh, "A New Era of Smarter Food Safety," and I looked at the 
um, uh, the um, agenda for this that we will link in show notes. That I think I might have just frozen my um, uh, my browser. I've got it. I've got the. I've got the link. Okay. <clears throat> well, and in here, sorry, I'm coughing so much. Um, in here, and I can't, of course, scroll at all because I broke. I broke my my computer. Um, in here, it talks about um, using. Um, uh, loyalty cards and, and how do you, how, how that impacts outbreak investigations. So there will be a discussion about that. And I think the webcast is free and available and it's next Monday, the 21st of October. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there are, there are privacy issues, right? And I, I, I certainly don't have a problem with people opting in. I worry a little bit about making it a requirement. Uh, if you know, uh, to, because yeah. uh, again, there are, there are, there are privacy issues. So, but, uh, and I know people feel, feel strongly about that. So, um, so one, one more thing, um, I do want to talk to you about, um, and this was a message that came in, um, from, uh, let's call it, uh, deep cooperative extension, uh, deep courses. Um, uh, she says you can share, oh, you can share my first name. Oh, we'll call her Heather then. Uh, you can share my first name, but deep not Heather. last, um, uh, deep Heather. Yeah, perfect. Deep Heather. Um, can you guys recommend an online food safety course for people who have kitchens and eat? Yeah, <laughs> that so was perfect. Um, or where to seek one out at a local level. My husband has kindly agreed to take a food safety course with me. So now I need to find one for both of us. Oh, he's a keeper, uh, Heather. He's a, he's a keeper. Um, you know, I, I, my, I guess what I would say is you don't need a food safety course. Just keep listening to this podcast. Uh, we'll eventually get to it. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, um, I don't know of any online food safety courses that are geared towards the general public. Certainly you could take a course like a serve safe, uh, style course for restaurants, um, you could also try your local cooperative extension office in your county. Um, but again, you know, every county is going to be different. I don't know if such a thing exists. It would be great if something like this did exist, but nothing immediately uh, occurred to me, Ben. Do you? And I think, don't we have a master master food pr- preserver? Like, but I guess that maybe focused on yeah. canning, though, right? But anyway, do yeah, you have yeah. any? Do you have any any thoughts on this, Ben? Yeah, I have a ton of thoughts on this. Um, no, I don't think it exists. And, and I thought about it, not just like, um, in in the sense of, Hey, here's a beginner's like course to food safety. Um, I thought about it like masterclass. And I think we talked about masterclass last year, right around the holidays. Cause I, I got a subscription to masterclass. Do you know about this? We, we did talk about it. Remind me. So, so it's super cool. So it, it is, um, uh, it's at masterclass.com. Uh, I got an annual, um, subscription and then I got to gift one. So I gave it to my father-in-law and there are like a whole bunch of different classes, like learn cooking from Thomas Keller and teaching creativity and leadership from Anna Wintour and oh, Neil Gaiman, the uh, art of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so I've watched a bunch of these I've watched and it was just like weird stuff. Like I watched the poker one. Um, I watched, uh, I watched the, or like watched, I mean, I, it, it's like a class. Um, but there are these little segments. Um, I did the Margaret Atwood creative writing one. Um, I did Gordon Ramsay's. I did, uh, Tom Morello teaches how to play guitar. I don't even have a guitar Don, but, <laughs> but I was, but my kids do. Um, and, and it was just like fascinating to hear them like tell a class like this. And this is what, what, like what deep extension deep Heather is looking for, I think, or what should be. It's not just an online course. It's like, all right, here are the, here are the 20 things that you should think about when it comes to food safety in your house. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of room in that space, but I don't know of any, and I agree with you 100% with your suggestion. Lo this is kind of what many local County, uh, extension folks do. Um, I, I did, I, oh gosh, I think it was like six or eight years ago now. Um, uh, Wake County, um, public libraries called, called me up and wanted me to do sort of a series of food safety topics for people in their home at the library. And so I, I created a three, uh, part series called barf wars. Nice. Um, that was all based on, you know, star Wars. Um, oh, cool. and cool. Right. Like, um, which I'm sure you're, I'm sure the Lucasfilm people will be really excited about in <laughs> Disney now. Uh, and it, and, and it was weird. Like it didn't, I don't know. It didn't really work like because it was me talking for like an hour at the library about here's what I do when I go to a grocery store. Um, and I had a chance to take that and reformulate it last year and do an ongoing um, course uh, here at NC State. We have a program called OLLI. And let me see what that even stands for. Um, it's like um, the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And, and so I was invited to that last year to talk about food safety. And I did a, a just a big Q&A about um, myths around food safety, things that, that you know, perceptions and myths. So anyway, I, many extension people can do this exact thing and are already delivering like basics of food safety, foodsafety.gov stuff, fight back um, in their local county in person. Uh, but I think there's room to do, to do more and a, a better – I don't know. A better way to do this is probably instead of me or someone in extension just talking is to actually like cook a meal with a group, teach people about cooking and food safety together. Well, and I'm just going to put this out there because this is the way that so many people are getting information these days, including I'm just amazed to the I this is not something that I do, but I'm amazed like my wife is just sitting on YouTube and watching cooking videos yep. and she's watching sewing videos. And you could you could if, if you were clever, you could do, make a YouTube channel that just teaches people about food safety. So, um, yeah, don't right. do a podcast because we got that covered. But yeah, someone in the someone needs the video version. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and our, like, so oh, let me see NCSU homegrown. We, you know, I, I talked uh, like early in the podcast about shooting these videos for, um, for food safety in, in Turkey and our, our college is going to run them under a program called homegrown. Um, and they, um, oh, we'll put this in the show notes as well. Um, it is, um, homegrown in the, in the kitchen, homegrown in the garden, homegrown one on the farm. And so we're, we're responsible for the kitchen one. Um, and it's little like tips. You'll see my, my department head, Carolyn Dunn. Um, if you click on in the kitchen, um, you know, cutting with a chef's knife, uh, tips for cutting grapefruit and oranges, um, making your own fresh pack, uh, dill pickles, which is one that, that our group, uh, put together. I did one on, um, you know, the safest way to wash produce. Um, and so, I, you so know, I, I cut my, I cut my finger the other day. I should probably read the chef's knife one. <laughs> you should, yeah. She's, she's really, really great. Um, but this is where all the Turkey stuff that I'm, that I'm doing is going to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you're so doing, you're that, doing this already. Kind of, but not in like, and I, I, no, I mean, I think what I'm doing is making these little blurbs. I think what, what deep Heather's looking for is, is a more, let's have a course, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's watch, watch these 15 videos and now don't make me sick husband. 
Uh, <laughs> right? My husband has kindly agreed to take a food safety course with me. So <laughs> I think there's a what, backstory there. I don't want to get into it, though. I kind of do. I think we should have Heather on <laughs> talk about this. Um, Deep Heather and, and husband, um, if you guys want to come on to Food Safety Talk and talk about it, the, your, your invite is always open. This is like this is like on Car Talk where the one person calls in with a problem with another person and then they get the other person on the line. Yes. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, all right. What else? What else we got? I'm, I clicked out. I, I, I think that's a show, Ben. I, I'm, I I'm, I'm ready to wrap it up. Let's wrap it. Let's wrap it. Let's uh, let's call it the end. Um, and I lose track of time now as well, Don. So I don't even know when we started. Uh, look, look at that. We've been we've been talking for an hour and fifty three minutes. Yes. Um, all right. Well, um, that's food safety talk. Um, the next one um, that Don and I are going to record is actually next Friday, um, the twenty fifth of October. Um, not to really compromise our OPSEC details, but you and I will be in, in the state of Idaho. Uh, at the Intermountain IFT meeting. So if you want to come watch, if you're in the um, Sun Valley, Idaho uh, area and you're a podcast listener of Food Safety Talk and you don't go to the IFT uh, Intermountain meeting, you know, it's like something you wouldn't go to, but you want to come see us, uh, let us know and we'll uh, we'll try and get you in. Um, but you might have to register for the meeting because we don't control those things. Yeah, and if you uh, and if you're not able to make it to Sun Valley, um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to put the episode out. Um, but we also don't control those things. Um, so we I have an email in to the organizers about AV for the session, um, and so hopefully uh, they will meet our request and they will be able to record it for us. Uh, I am not planning on uh, bringing my microphone, uh, and so if they and I and I'm leaving New Jersey on Friday, not to again compromise my opsec. Um, but you're taking uh, the, you're taking the long route. I am, I am going, I'm going via Chicago, uh, where I will be attending the food safety preventive controls Alliance annual meeting. Um, and, and maybe, maybe visiting friends in Chicago as well. You never know. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and, uh, you're like, uh, Lewis and Clark. <laughs> you're going to take, going to find the Northwest passage. So those are different people. Um, so yeah, cause we didn't Lewis and Clark, didn't they go, uh, they made it to, uh, to Idaho, but went through Chicago, I think on their way. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I'm thinking of, uh, my uh, favorite song, uh, by, um, Mark Knopfler, uh, sailing to Philadelphia, which is about, uh, Mason and Dixon, uh, not about Lewis and Clark, uh, not about Lewis and Clark at all, but it's a, it's a, it's a great song. If you, I do, just, do you know I, the song? No, I know. Oh, it's a, I know of so, Mark Knopfler. Yeah, so he does a duet actually with James Taylor. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a great, it's just a great song. So uh, yeah, check, check that. Awesome. We'll, we'll link to that on YouTube. All right, sounds good. Um, and uh, looks like when I'm looking at the uh, Lewis and Clark uh, investigate, or uh, I'm, I just found it on on YouTube. They never went to Chicago, so <laughs> found that for I'm pretty sure Mason and Dixon didn't either. Yeah, no, nobody did. Nobody did. Uh, all right. Um, all right. That's the show. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
Oh, nice. Cool, cool. All right, so this one, is this one yours? Mine. Yes. Good. Um, I got it. I had a few show notes or show titles. Okay. Um, I'll text these to you. Okay. In fact, I just, I just wrote down three. Okay. I got, I got a bunch, but yeah. Uh, you might have the same ones. Um, but we'll, here, here's, here's what I came up with. Don't call it Seattle. Um, Trenton makes the world takes, which I love. And what happened to Karen? <laughs> no, I didn't get any of those. <laughs> All right. Um, um, okay. So we should, so even though we're going to see each other next week, we should talk about the week after. Yes. Sorry. Are you going to text those to me or do I need to write those down? I think I just texted, I texted them to somebody. Oh, you got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I just, I just sent them. Um, could you do the morning of, uh, October 31st? I think I could. Um, cause we have, you, you're on this, uh, Listeria expert panel discussion at three, I'm assuming. I am. Yeah, so I don't have anything else the rest of that day. Oh, I have a new event at 10 o'clock. I wonder oh. what that is. Is that Writing Buddies? <laughs> oh, we, um, it might do, be. Because I don't think we got, like, it didn't make it onto the calendar. I think that's when we decided. I think you might be right. Look at that. Breaking calendars, fixing calendars, doing it all. It is. I can't believe I did that. Um, yeah, it's you. Yeah, look at me. Look at, look at, yeah. yeah. So I could do, I mean, we could go right after writing buddies or wherever, like really I have nothing other than that expert panel. We could go one till three. We could do, you know, 10 till or 10, 15 till whenever. Yeah. Well, I, ha- I have a, I have a Marcy uh, Magnani is visiting me. Uh, you know, oh. Marcy, right? Yeah. yeah. From Brazil. Yep. Yeah. She's yep. visiting me. So I don't want to uh, ignore her for too long. And then I've got that Listeria call. So, um, I could also do the 30th. She's also visiting on the 30th. Okay. So, um, and, I'm, and I've already got, uh, again, I, 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 I yeah, I just want to try to accommodate her. She's coming yeah. all the way to visit me. So, um, and I can't do the first. That's what I'm basically what I'm getting at is oh, okay. the first is not to, but I could do I, like base. You pick a time on the 30th or 31st. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so let's say, um, let's say, well, how would you feel about, uh, going, uh, right up to like one to three, right before yep. the AFI call? Perfect. Yeah, I'm really me uh, spend the morning with Marcy. I don't. I mean, I, we don't need a ton of time, but let's just spend the morning yeah, together, and then we can have lunch, and then, and then, I'll, then yeah. I'll, I'll ditch her in the afternoon. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll chat with you tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. bye.